you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Romans. And I'm going to read just a, one verse that serves as a proof text uh, for some of the doctrinal teaching that we're going to look at today. And uh, that uh, proof text is found in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. The book of Romans, the third chapter and the 20th verse. And uh, as you're able, we invite you to stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's word. The Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. May God bless today the reading and hearing of his word. Let us join again in prayer. Gracious God, as we meditate on the teaching of the Apostle Paul and the whole witness of Scripture to the role of the law in awakening our consciences to our miserable state apart from thee, uh, we ask that you would guide us in our thoughts and that you would guide us, most importantly, to understand the Scriptures as they speak of thee. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're continuing a series that we started last uh, Lord's Day afternoon. It's going to continue, God willing, throughout the, the year that is ahead. And that is we're doing an exposition of a teaching or a discipleship instrument that's known as the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's called the Heidelberg Catechism because it was written in Heidelberg, Germany, when the Protestant Reformation came to that land. And it's a pretty important statement. It's used by many Christians uh, to teach and to disciple people who are new to the faith. So if you're someone who's new to Christianity, um, this, this, this question and answer format of teaching has been written to teach you about what it is that Christians believe. And um, there are a good number of Christians who hold to this Heidelberg Catechism alongside of a, a document that's known as the Belgic Confession and, the, and another one called the Canons of Dort. And you'll sometimes hear them referred to as the three forms of unity. Um, particularly if... Um, uh, in for Reformed churches that began on, in, on the continent in Europe, in Germany or in Switzerland or in Holland. Um, if you've ever been up to uh, someplace like Michigan, there are a lot of people who are part of Christian Reformed churches. And it's very common for them to use the Heidelberg uh, Catechism. Um, and so we can profit from looking through this catechism ourselves. I noted last time that it was written by two men when they were in their 20s, two young men. Uh, one was named Ursinus and one was named uh, uh, Alevianus. And so they, they were in their 20s and there was a godly, believe it or not, a godly ruler, Frederick the Pious, who said, we need to teach our people the gospel because the, the Reformation had come and there were still a lot of people who didn't really understand uh, what does it mean to be a Bible-believing Christian? And so these two men in their 20s uh, wrote down this question and answer format to teach people about Christianity. And then it was approved by a group of churches called a synod 
in the year 1563. The catechism consists of 129 questions and answers. And then it was so popular that they soon divided it, uh, its 129 questions and answers, into 52 sections so that it could be studied on each Sunday of the year. And you could progress through uh, looking at uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. And we're, we're doing this in 2024. We're going through Lord's Day by Lord's Day, these questions. And Bonnie's been nice enough to print uh, what we're looking at today as Lord's Day 2. We're going to see the, our year click by this year. Because we're going to see Lord's Day 2, Lord's Day 3, 4, and so forth as we, as we make our way through the year. But today you can see we're looking at questions 3 through 5. I know that some of you have copies of the Reformation Heritage Study Bible. And often when we baptize people, we give them this study Bible as a gift. Uh, it's a really good study Bible. And one of the nice things about it is at the back of that Bible, it has several Reformed confessions. And it actually has the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and it has the, the Canons of Dort. It also has the, the um, Westminster Confession of Faith. They haven't come out with a Reformed Baptist version of it yet. I, wish, I hope that they will, that has the Second London Confession, but at least has the Westminster, which is very close to our own. But anyway, for those of you who have the Reformation Heritage Study Bible, you've got the Heidelberg Catechism at the back of your Bible. But I did order some uh, cheap copies of it, which should be in soon, and we'll have them available for anyone who wants to take, take it home, read it for yourself, or use it in your family devotions, review it. Um, and we'll have some, some cheap paperback copies uh, in due time. Um, I, I mentioned last week when I gave kind of the overview message. And if you weren't here last Sunday and you're, you're planning to be here in these Lord's Day afternoons, that would be a good message for you to go back and probably listen to. Because I did the overview of the history of this catechism. But it follows a threefold plan based on an outline of the book of Romans. It talks about man's misery apart from Christ. It talks about how redemption came through Christ. And then it talks about how we respond to that. And that's a nice threefold way to look at, you know, how do you understand Christianity? What's our state? What is our state? And the Bible says, as sinners, we're in a state of misery then how has God intervened to save us by grace? And then the last part is, okay, if I have become a Christian and I have been saved, how should I live? How do I live now? How should, how should this faith change my life? And um, I noted that there's one person who's done an exposition of the Heidelberg Catechism, and the title of it is Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And you could, think of, you could think of the three G's of the Christian life. We have guilt, we're saved by grace, and then we live a life of gratitude. Well, again, most of the people who use the Heidelberg Catechism are uh, folks that we wouldn't agree with on infant baptism. Um, but thankfully, there was a guy, a pastor with a great name. His name was Hercules Collins. And he was a Reformed Baptist, particular Baptist, and he pastored a church in London that was called the Old Gravel Lane Baptist Church. And he liked the Heidelberg Catechism, but he didn't agree with some of the things that taught about baptism. So he took the Heidelberg Catechism 
and he revised it and supplemented it. And he called his catechism the Orthodox Catechism. And so as we go through the Heidelberg Catechism, we get to its teaching on baptism, for example, I'm going to supplement it with uh, Pastor Collins's um, uh, um, study of this. And I, I hopefully I'll get some copies of the Orthodox Catechism also that you, you might want to take a look at. Well, let, let's talk about uh, Lord's Day 2. And we're going to look at questions 3, 4, and 5. They're typed on the back of your bulletin there. And um, this, again, is in the first part, the guilt part. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Guilt. So it's going to start off talking about man's misery apart from Christ. His misery or guilt apart from Christ. And one of the things that this tells us is uh, you have to know you have a problem in order to appreciate a solution. Um, You can go out and you can offer life-giving medicine to people who think they're healthy, but they'll refuse it if they don't know that they have a problem because they believe that they don't need it. And a lot of people hear Christians and they think, well, isn't that nice? Isn't that sweet? But I don't really have any problems like that. So I don't really need, I don't really need what you guys are offering. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. And so I haven't done anything that would be that displeasing to God. And so the catechism starts off trying to teach people like that. And it's trying to awaken them. That sort of person is slumbering. That that sort of person isn't awake to the spiritual realities of their own life or or they're, they're numb and they don't feel anything. Some years ago, my brother and, and my older brother and I uh, went on a, um, um, a, a rafting trip together in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, we got on a raft and we went down the Nantahala River and it was ex- the water was extremely cold and it was a kind of a treacherous. We probably shouldn't have done it, but we did it. And uh, at one part during the trip, my, my leg was hanging out of our, of our, it was really an inner tube. And the water was freezing cold. I didn't realize my leg had become so numb uh, that, I, that I could hardly feel it. And I looked down at one point and I saw my leg hitting rocks that were in the water. And I was, could not feel a thing. And after the trip, I had a bunch of bruises and all, all over me. But at the time, I couldn't feel anything. I, I was so numb, I didn't feel the pain that, that was being inflicted upon me. And if I could draw an analogy, sometimes people who are outside of Christ are numb to the reality, realities of their own misery. They don't know what they're missing. They don't know what's, what's absent from their life. <clears throat> And so um, the catechism, we could call the the catechism our teacher or our instructor is trying to teach us about this. And so it starts off in question three. Whence or from where knowest thou thy misery? How do you come to know your spiritual state apart from Christ? 
And the answer given is out of the law of God. So this is a really important statement. How do we know that we're in a miserable state apart from Christ? We know from the law of God. Now, when we say that man is in a state of misery apart from Christ, we don't mean that he constantly feels terrible or or miserable outwardly. He may have many times in his life he feels happy, he feels content. On the other hand, there are many people who go through life and they're very well aware of the miseries of this life. They feel lonely. They feel like their life is out of control. They become addicted to drugs or alcohol or pornography or or whatever. And they're very well aware of their misery. But there are other people maybe who, who aren't as aware. They're not constantly suffering in misery. So when we say that, that man is in misery apart from Christ, we don't mean that they're, they're constantly aware of their misery. They're constantly suffering, although some people are. But again, they don't know what they're missing. They don't know what it's like to know God, to know their creator. There was a... a great theologian of the early church named Augustine, Augustine of Hippo. And he had a famous statement in which he said, man's heart is restless until he finds rest in God. Man is restless until he finds rest in God. According to the Heidelberg Catechism, it is the law of God which serves as an alarm bell or maybe you can think about a smoke detector that makes the sinner aware of his state of misery. Now you take a nap and your kitchen catches on fire and the, the, the fire alarm goes off and it wakes you up and it makes you know there's a danger here. Otherwise, you, know, you might go, sleep, go, go on sleeping and say, oh, there's no problem, a little fire. I'm not aware of it. What, what harm can that do to me? And the same thing for the sinner who says, but I need to hear about God, the things of God. I'm okay. When all the while there's a fire that's raging. But anyway, the law of God is like a fire alarm, like a smoke detector that that wakes us up and makes us aware of our state of misery. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 3.20, the verse that I read, read to you, where it says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, shall no flesh be justified in his sight. In other words, by doing good things, by doing good works, by living what you think is a righteous life, you can't be justified before God. And then it says at the very end, the very last line, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's the key point. That's what our teacher, our instructor is trying to get into our head. By the law is the knowledge of sin. This leads us to some other questions. Well, what do you mean by the law? And indeed, that term is used in various ways in the scriptures. Paul can talk about the law as being an internal principle. In Romans 7, 23, he talks about the law of my mind. Um, Often the Bible and the New Testament, they talk about the Old Testament as the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, or the law and the prophets. So the law can refer to the Old Testament. The word law can also be used to refer to civil laws, not biblical laws, but civil laws. So what is meant by, uh, from where do I know about this misery, out of the law of God? Well, our teacher, our instructor, the Heidelberg Catechism, figured that we would have questions like that. And we would also might have a question like, okay, so what is this law and how does it raise 
this awareness of my misery apart from Christ. And this takes us to question four. What doth the law of God require of us? And it gives this answer. Christ teaches us that briefly, Matthew 22, 37 to 40, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Heidelberg Catechism points us towards Christ's teaching that we know as his teaching of the great commandment. Christ was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered by giving two teachings that actually are summaries of what we know as the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments consist of two parts. The first uh, four commandments relate to man's relationship to God. So you should have no gods before God. You should make no graven images of God. You should not take God's name in vain. And you should remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's how you have a good relationship with God. And then the second half of the Ten Commandments tell you how how to have a good relationship with your fellow human beings, with your fellow men. And it starts with what I tell my kids is my favorite commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. Um, And it proceeds to say, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And what Christ did, it's amazing that no one before Christ had ever come up with this, none of the rabbis. He took the Ten Commandments and summarized them in two. And he, he did it by quoting two passages from the Old Testament. He said, there are two commandments. First, you should love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the vertical. That's the first table of the Ten Commandments. And then secondly, he quoted Leviticus 19, 18. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Have a right relationship with God. Have a right relationship with your fellow man. And what the teacher of, uh, of the catechism tells us is that those two teachings summarize all of the moral law of God. He says they're like a peg that we can hang all the moral law of God. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And what he's further making the point here, he's, he's saying to us, you really can't understand this teaching that Christ gave until and unless you understand that you can't do that. You can't love God. And you can't love your neighbor as yourself. You're not capable of doing it because you've inherited a sin nature And you committed your own actual transgressions and there's sin living within you. And knowing the law brings to your conscience, to your awareness that you can't do this. You can't love God good enough. You can't love your neighbor good enough. Anybody who's ever lived in a family or in a dormitory or been in the military knows that if you live around, if you're around people, you're going to think you're going to rub up against each other. And, and you're, you're not going to love your neighbor as yourself all the time. And anybody else knows from your own experience that you're not always going to have a red-hot zeal for God that you ought to have. You're going to come short. And you realize you can't justify yourself in God's sight. 
And it's by the knowledge of the law that you come to an awareness of your sin. I don't know if uh, some of you are probably familiar with a guy named Ray Comfort. And he has a series of evangelism videos. You can Google him and look him up on YouTube. He goes out on the street and he interviews people and he basically just uses the Ten Commandments. He'll ask people, do you know the Ten Commandments? And he'll ask them, can you name a couple of the commandments? And they'll, they'll usually stumble through a few of them. And um, so they might say something like, uh, well, it says uh, you shall not steal. And it says you, sh- you, shall not, uh, you, know, you shall not bear false witness. And then he asks them, have you ever stolen anything? I mean, have you even ever taken a paper clip home from work that you weren't supposed to? Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? And they, they'll usually say, oh, yeah, okay, I, I've done that. And sometimes they'll confess to, yeah, I've, you know, I've, been, I've been in prison. I stole, <laughs> you know, I, I got caught and I had to go to jail for this. And, you know, have you, have, you shall not bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie? And, I mean, think about it for yourself. Have you ever told a lie? Did you justify it by saying it was a white lie so that you had, you had to do it so that no one would get hurt or whatever? And then Comfort, of course, says, so you're telling me that you're a thief and a liar. Because God's law says you should not steal and you should not bear false witness. You're a thief and a liar. What should a holy God do with you? And you can see in these videos, often he's successful. And you can see it dawns on people. They become aware of their misery the law opens up to them the fact that uh, they are in a state of misery, even if they're not aware of it. This leads us to the next question, question five. Canst thou keep all these things perfectly? This is what Ray Comfort does. And notice the answer. I love the the way it begins. Can, Can you keep these things perfectly? Can you love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? And can you love your neighbor as yourself? And I love the answer, in no wise. In no wise. I can't. Two proof texts are given. And by the way, Bonnie has been nice enough to put this in the bulletin. And I, there, I haven't, there's not enough space to put the proof text. So it'll be nice when we get the booklets or if you've got the, um, the Reformation Heritage Study Bible. Because you really should look at the proof texts. They're really wonderful. There are a lot of good proof texts. And as I said last week, it's, it's really an echo of the Bible. Um, but anyways, there are two proof texts. One is Romans 3.10, which says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one is righteous before God. And also in 1 John 1.8, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is how the law begins to awaken our consciences. We like to think that we're generally good people, nice people. But the law declares to us that we come short. We're not righteous. We're sinners. That's why our consciences accuse us when we do things that aren't right. Even sometimes people who are, who are hardened in their antipathy towards God still are bothered by a guilty conscience. Their conscience bothers them. God's law tells us some very unpleasant truths. I should be a God lover, but I am often a God hater. I should be a neighbor lover, 
but I am instead often a neighbor hater. There are two further proofs that are added at the end of question five in this catechism. One is from Romans 8, 7. It says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal or the fleshly, the unconverted mind, is against God, and it's not subject to the law of God. And Paul said, it can't be on its own. Neither can it be. Titus in Titus 3.3 said, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. He's describing what it was like before he became a Christian. Paul did something similar in Ephesians 2, verses 1 and following. He said to the Ephesian Christians, And you... Have God quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our conduct in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And I love this description in Ephesians 2 3. He says, Before we came to Christ, We were, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. Those little babies that we love so much, they are, by nature, children of wrath. They're deserving of God's judgment. Well, friends, the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us what the Scriptures teach, that our spiritual awakening begins not with someone coming to us and saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But our spiritual awakening comes when we discover that apart from Christ, we are in a state of misery and there's nothing we can do to please God. And that's why we need Christ. And that's the good news. We can be made right with God through Christ. Amen? Let me invite you to stand together. Let's join in prayer. Gracious God, we thank Thee for this opportunity to meditate upon some of these um, basic truths of the Scriptures and help us uh, to, to, um, to take in the things we've, we've discussed today, to apply them to ourselves, and then Prepare us for, for further things that we'll learn as we work through this, uh, this discipleship teaching through the remainder of this year. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.